So it's week three of Advent, and we are in the third week of our sermon series. Uh, just uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas is our sermon series. And just as a reminder as to what Advent is, and a little bit of history behind that word and that this season, Advent is a label put on the, the month of December. Sometime in church history, the month of December got this label, probably like around the 4th or 5th century, so it's been around a long time. If you grew up Catholic, or maybe some other denominations, I don't know who all uses this, but maybe you might be more familiar with something called the church calendar. You ever heard of that? The church calendar, particularly surrounding uh, Christmas and Easter, um, but it's all throughout the year. You'll recognize words like Advent or Epiphany, those 12 days after Christmas, uh, and uh, Lent. You ever heard of Lent? Uh, and you know Easter, Pentecost Sunday is is one of those things. You, you and throughout the year, every every Sunday, you know, would would or those certain Sundays would be honored with some ceremonies or meditations. That's where we get days like Palm Sunday or Good Friday. Uh, those are labels that have been put on them. Those seasons, those days, aren't singled out in the Bible for us to necessarily. There's no specifics in the Bible to do those celebrations particularly, but we, we, somebody set those things aside. Some church officials set out this church calendar, and, and it's been used for a long time by many different uh, groups, and labeled those times as sacred, holy times, holy days. Protestant churches, uh, churches like Sunrise, we don't necessarily follow those traditions of the church calendar, uh, mainly because it is only a tradition those things are traditions, and traditions come and they go. Sometimes it's very healthy to let traditions go so that we don't get attached to the traditions instead of to God, to Christ. And, uh, but the cool thing about church history is that many of the traditions did carry with them great meaning and did a good job of drawing people closer to Christ and, and meditating on those things. And so from what I understand, Advent was the beginning of that church calendar. Advent was the beginning, which makes sense because Advent is the time to reflect on the time before everything gets started, before Jesus arrives. The calendar, you know, is going to go on and celebrate Christmas and then the 12 days of Epiphany uh, leading up to May, like when the wise men came is what the, they celebrated in Christ and his ministry, his, his life, his death, burial, resurrection. Uh, you get to May and you celebrate Pentecost Sunday, and so you're already at the church, and you go through the year. Uh, Advent means it's, he's coming. That's the word Advent. It's where it all begins. Twas the night before it all starts. And so not only do we reflect on Christ's birth, that he was coming, but we reflect on Christ coming to those who are lost. Christ is coming again, the second coming. We can reflect on those uh, concepts. And so during the month of December, it's kind of separated into four weeks. And so four Sundays, you light four different candles. And so that's what we've been doing. The first Sunday, we lit the first candle. And we've kind of repurposed our, our manger here, the, our nativity that we use for Christmas Eve candlelight service. And so on this back row, we started with, you remember what the first Sunday was? Hope was first, and then we last week we discussed and meditated on faith. All right, you guys can talk. That's all right. To, today, we're going to be looking at joy. 
joy. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You remember who made that statement? The angels made that statement. Do you remember to whom it was made? Shepherds. Yeah, yeah. So this is the announcement that the angel of the Lord gives to the shepherds in the fields. The birth of Jesus was imminent. I mean, this is really, literally like twas the night before. And they were the ones, they were the ones that in, in all the world, the first ones, outside of those who were directly involved, like Mary and Joseph, they were the first to know. And this is the way the announcement starts. I bring you good news. Aeongelion, that's the Greek word for gospel. Good news. I bring you the gospel that will cause what? It will cause joy for all the people. Can you imagine what joy for all people looks like? I did this a little bit in the service in the singing service, but I'm going to do a little exercise. Let's practice this, shall we? Let's pretend that you, are, you who are here today are the, uh, a representation of that announcement. And all at once, on the count of three, I want you to show me what joy looks like. Okay? Are you going to practice? Some of you are like, nope. Okay, I'm not going to do anything. That's fine. That's fine. You don't have to, but everybody else. All right. So all right, on the count of three, show me joy. Ready? One, two, three. All right, some of you weren't going to do it, but you smiled anyway. You couldn't help it. You couldn't help yourself. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I feel better already, right? You can, when, you know, even the artificial joy that I asked you to create, I can feel happier, you know, happy is not the right word. I can feel joy kind of coming towards me from that, and that's good. Joy is something special. But the thought that one announcement could bring joy, real joy, to all the people. That's worth discussing. Joy is a difficult subject for me. I, I don't think I, I really knew that until I started cracking this open, trying to figure out what I was going to do. I've preached joy before, but for some reason it was just hard to get the gears going this week and, and figuring it out. Like, first of all, it's difficult for me because I, I, I realize joy is not a strength of mine. It's not something that I'm, I'm strong in. I've got other strengths, but joy isn't one of them. And that kind of opened my eyes to that a little bit, looking through it this week. Also, the difficult thing with joy is that it's hard to dissect or to separate from happiness. Every time we talk about joy, you probably hear someone say, well, there's a difference between happiness and joy. And that's very true. And you hear that any time you get into this subject... Um, because happiness depends on your circumstances. And if your circumstances change, your happiness is gone. So you really can't, you can't really, uh, that's not a good aim because of how circumstances are. But joy is not like that. And I know that there's a difference, but when I start writing about it, when I start thinking about joy, I find myself wandering into the realm of happiness. And I'm like, ah, oh, why'd I get over here? You know, and, uh, you know, and it's, so I, it's hard to kind of distinguish the difference, if that makes sense. Well, anyways, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to read from Luke chapter two, that section of Luke two, when the angels deliver the good news to the shepherds, and then let's talk about joy, and see if that conversation can help us as we meditated on this week. Twas the night before, Jesus is coming, and we wait with joy. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. That we might open your word to see the truth and the message, the, the gospel, the good news. And as we reflect on it and meditate, wrestle with it, I pray that you'll teach us what joy is and how we can have it a part of our life. Not only for the truth of Jesus Christ, but the life that you've given us, the blessings in all the areas joy might be found. May we be able to grow in that, to learn it, and to use it in our life, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a company of heavenly hosts appeared within, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I wonder what the skies looked like out in the fields. I mean, in a world where there, there's no city lights to kind of block it out, and there's no uh, you know, street lamps, there's not even city glow out in the distance. It's just stars. All, the only competition for the stars would be the campfire. Some places like that still exist. We could probably still find similar places. But I, I, you know, and, and maybe that sounds delightful to you, like, oh, this, live out in the stars. But also, it's, it's, a, it's dark. Right? And darkness... Is terrifying. I think it's a fairly good illustration and a backdrop for this story. The contrast between life before Jesus and life after Jesus arrives. Jesus is described as the light of the world. And you know that that's good news, but it's only good news if you, it only really makes sense as good news if you realize that he's coming to a world of darkness. If he's coming to a world of other light, it's, just, it's like, okay, it's just another light. He's coming to a world of darkness. The contrast is like, and he's called other things. Jesus is called the living water. And the only way that's good news is if you realize he's coming to a place where it's dry and they're thirsty. Living water is like, that's good news. You see, good news of great joy has to be appreciated in the context of pain and agony and depression that's where joy, joy is recognized. When you watch the Christmas Carol, anybody seen the Christmas Carol? Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Uh, has this the, the huge turnaround. By the end of the book, he's learned to, to show love and to have love in his heart, to show grace, to have Christmas joy. But why has this been such a moving piece of literature and cinema throughout the years? And, and what is the most common characteristic attribute uh, or attributed to, uh, to Scrooge. When we think about Scrooge, what do we think about? We think about uh, bitterness and greed and anger and resentment and pain. Uh, everyone knows that if you're called a Scrooge, that is not a compliment. Right? Obviously, they're not referring to how he ended up 
at the end of the book. He's, you know, it'd be a, a compliment if it was, but that's not how he's remembered. Uh, I think this, the reason it's, it's so loved, and this is a classic, is because everyone loves, everyone knows that the triumph and the turnaround of, of, of Ebenezer is in the context of his darkness. And that victory that comes from, but it only makes sense because we hear that story of who he is and, and what he's, what he's uh, living in, the misery. And therefore, as I talk about joy today, I cannot talk about joy without the context of misery. If you find yourself in a place like that, then joy is perfect subject for us to talk about. It's the right spot. Notice that the angels, they didn't come to the kings. The angels didn't come to the rulers or the governors, the ruling class. Why is that, I wonder? Maybe it was because they, those rulers, they were, would have been blinded by their palaces. Their comfort was, you know, they just couldn't really truly appreciate good news when life is too good already. Maybe they were too distracted by their own wealth and power to find themselves in need of a savior. What do you mean? You need, we don't need a savior. Maybe they were too secure in their life of luxury to appreciate or look for rescue. Many times when I'm doing a sermon, I'll go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve. I'll go back and talk about them. We'll talk about the fall of man when sin was introduced into the world. And sometimes you're like, roll your eyes. Like, why are we going back there again? We're going back to Adam and Eve and the fall of man. Well, it's, that is when sin was introduced to the world, to the humanity, that is the original context of our story of misery. That is the origin of all things that bring us grief. Sin, everything that distracts us from joy, started there. Whatever makes you sick or die, whatever makes you sad, depressed, or miserable, whatever makes you hurt or causes you pain or makes you cry, or broken families, or friendships, or hunger, or thirst, or abandonment, or loneliness, or worries, or insecurities, or anxieties, or wars, or corruption, it all comes from sin. And so you have to take that into the context of this message. Everything that is wrong with the world comes from sin. And up to the point where Jesus comes, there was no escape from it. There's no rescue coming. Or there's no rescue. It was coming. Sin has power to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're just sitting it in all. And then the message comes. Salvation. It's over. It's all over. God has sent a Savior to make a way for us to escape. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, the Messiah, Christ the Lord. Now, I don't know if the shepherds, when they heard that message, I don't know if they understood all of the the nuanced context of what was written in the Torah and what was written in the prophets. I don't know their education or what they knew, but I do know that they at least got the message with a company of heavenly hosts and you know, praising God, an angel visit and talking to them. And I'm sure they understood what a savior is. And so they got enough of it. They went, they went to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to see what this message is. Each shepherd, as they went, has their own baggage, their own backstory, their own darkness, their struggles and their family problems and their money problems and their poverty, and their trauma. Listen, all those things that they have carried in their baggage, it's not going to disappear yet. 
but the root of all evil that caused it is sin is going to be destroyed because the problem of pain is solved in this child. Seems too good to be true. But this time it's not. How is it going to happen? This child, a savior, to come and bring forgiveness. And that is the good news. Sin is the bad news. And sometimes as we go to church, that's what we kind of hear most. There's the bad news. Sin is bad, right? The good news is that forgiveness came. Twas the night before, and all we could see was sin. All we could see is the damage done by sin. But the antidote to sin is forgiveness. And this child has come to deliver it for all people. That is why it is good news. It is the solution to misery, forgiveness. And it's for all the people. And so we sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Because sin is gone. A Savior has come with forgiveness. And it's at this point, having been reminded of the good news, we should be like Buddy the Elf. Right? Y'all seen that movie? Buddy the Elf, he's just smiling. Always, nothing gets Buddy down, right? It's like smiling is my favorite, Right? Yeah, because we heard this news, right? It was like, it's my favorite. How could I possibly not have joy because of this? And all Christians should be singing like, you know, I, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Yeah, there we go. Some of you know the old song, right? And some of you are like, I don't know that song. Anyway, like, yeah, joy song. We just sang joyful, joyful. We adore thee. We sing these songs and we're just so triumphant and victorious. Like we have the gospel. Sometimes... I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like that. Maybe not Buddy the Elf. Because he's, uh, he's naive and dim. But, but he, he does have an unrelenting spirit about him that you've got to admire. And it's interesting, we refer to someone like that, like they have this spirit about them. What does that mean? That there's this... Are, do you, are there, aren't there people that you know that are gifted in a realistic version of the spirit of joy? Can you think of those people? Maybe it's, maybe it's you. And there's a number of you that have that, like just the spirit of joy bursting out of them. You know, in preparing for this week, I was reminded that joy is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you get this list and it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is like the things that we produce because we follow and, and live for God. And I, and I said this earlier, joy, it's on the list, but joy is not a strength of mine. It's a weakness of mine. But let me make sure I'm clear about something. I am not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with that. And sometimes I try to excuse it away. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's just a part of my personality. That's, that's kind of who I am. It's something that's inescapable. And I'll make those excuses, right, where I say, you know, I'm just more even-tempered. I don't want to be too high, too low. I'm more practical with my emotions. <laughs> However, sitting in that this week and reflecting on this, after running through my brain and talking to people that I know, that I trust, who know me, you know a conclusion that I come to? Joy is something 
I can have. It's something that I can have. Listen, it's a fruit of the spirit. If it's a fruit of the spirit, it is. Like love or patience, it's an area in my life where I can mature. I can grow towards joy, which it was actually an ex- a pretty exciting realization for me going through that this week. I already know that that's how love works. Like you work on it and you grow in it. You got to get better at it and, and you, you mature. And patience, certainly it's something you, you have to work on. And kindness, I can be more kind as I exercise some things and work on it. Uh, and, you know, I teach these things and I uh, um, uh, try to work on those. But when it came to joy, joy has been a feature of God's fruit that I just kind of let it fizzle out. Because I had it once. I had it once, and you know the old story, back when life was simple. Right? Could have joy back when... You notice that kids have more joy than adults. The other day I was, you know, here before things got started, and people started coming to church on Wednesday night or something, and and the kids just running out of their cars, just ready to play. And they're like, we're here. Yeah, and they're excited. They're going to play. And I'm watching this and the joy on their faces. And I miss it. Maybe kids have more joy, generally speaking, because maybe it's because they're not so well acquainted with sin. And they live in the joy innocence invites. Maybe... There's a conviction in that for us to get rid of the sin that, that's in our life. Maybe that's motivation for parents to protect their kids while they're young and innocent and guide them gently into adulthood. Not sheltered or, or blinded to the world, but safe for their brains to develop, leaning and learning to, to trust in God while, they're, while their joy is still easily accessible. But alas, we do get older And getting older, unfortunately, does bring out the Scrooge in us. By that I mean we experience the world. And we are tempted to be jaded by its pain. And so I thought, how can I grow in joy? How can I grow in joy? Here are two things I came up with. Maybe they'll help you as well. First thing is this, be generous, be generous. Generosity is one of the best expressions of joy. And it really does help you to grow in it. I'm not just speaking about money, although money is, it comes with a territory. What I'm talking about is being generous with yourself, being generous, being outward focused, being open handed and serving others liberally. Since joy is a fruit of the Spirit, listen to this. A little earlier in Galatians, verse 16, it said, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Joy is fruit of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you listen to that whole verse, kind of the opposing thing in this verse to the Spirit is walking for yourself. The desires of your flesh, walking for yourself, don't walk in the spirit so you don't gratify those things. You know what happens when you pursue yourself? What you're trying to do is trying to bring happiness to yourself. In that sense, happiness is the pursuit of yourself. 
and happiness is empty. Gratifying the desires of me, and that's a lot of times what we pursue. But joy grows when we walk in the Spirit. Something deeper, something better than happiness is joy. So if you start looking outward, being generous with yourself and not to yourself, I think joy, we can grow. Second thing is this, celebration. Celebration. We got a little bit of that this morning, some clapping, some shouts. We got a little little glimpse of it, right? Celebration, I have to work on this. I'm I'm a terrible celebrator. I I don't even celebrate when the Cowboys win. I know a lot of you don't celebrate ever when the Cowboys win. But I'm saying, like, I love the Cowboys. You insert your team, your favorite team. Don't let this distract you. But my point, like, the Cowboys win, and I'm just like, all right. Like, like, why am I not celebrating? Do you want to know why I don't celebrate? I, I, no. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. But um, like the re- I want to know why. I want to know why. Why am I not celebrating this thing that I want and looking forward to? Like, what, what's wrong with me? I have this tendency to downplay birthdays, mine, yours, everybody's. Downplay birthdays, holidays. And, and the fact that every single thing has a national day, everything, every person and thing, like, you know, you can hear the, the, the judgment in my voice. Like, this last week, I think it was like national, there was a national horse day. And I'm like, why do we have a national horse day? But that's, that's the humbug in me. Like, I don't want to celebrate a ho- horse. And I'm, I still might stick with that. But, like, the idea of celebrating is hugely beneficial for joy. What's wrong that I can't just celebrate so let me confess to you, when I fail to celebrate, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's unhealthy. Do you realize that much of the book of Leviticus is got in it laws commanding us to celebrate? Like in the book of Leviticus, you'll see a lot of things. And you're like, oh, that's the book of those harsh laws about cleanliness, unclean, clean, diseases and you know, measurements for temples and things like that. But there's a, Greek, a big portion of this dealing with and containing plans and commands for the people of God to celebrate. It lays out these festivals. What do you think God is up to in this? Do you think that God knows that we lose our joy and that we forget and we grow bitter that he would set in his law to set time aside to celebrate. Sometimes they're week-long festivals. And it wasn't just filled with like sacrifices and you know, sacred ceremonies and prayers. and things. It's filled with, with uh, some of those things, but meals and family and community and music and joy. He set those things aside probably because he knows we, you guys got to celebrate. A lot of it was to remember what God has done for you. The rescue, celebrate. God is good. I told you that I want to grow in joy. One thing I need to do is celebrate. I need to rejoice more often. Right? Rejoicing is a very New Testament concept with the same spirit of joy. Rejoice. Joy is in the word, right? Celebration. And I need to exercise joy. Generosity. And celebration. And I think the world kind of gets it wrong sometimes. You'll hear a cliche statement like, turn that frown upside down. As if that's going to fix anything. 
right? But what if we actually put things that would exercise our joy, like being generous with yourself, celebrating? Some exercises we could work on. To close out, let's get back to the Christmas story. It was the night before, and there were shepherds watching their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, saying, I bring you good news of great joy and will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior will be born. He is Christ the Lord. That is the good news. Christ has come to bring forgiveness. Whatever problems you have right now, whatever it is that you're walking in, whatever distractions you have that seem insurmountable, this is the perfect time to reflect on joy. Because listen, those dark places, that's actually the very place we find joy in Scripture. Did you hear what Jason said in his communion meditation? Christ is about to go to crucifixion. The joy set before him. And you, you hear the list of things, that, the joy that Jesus experienced. But the joy is not related to our circumstances, our struggling. Joy is deeper. And he was being generous with himself. And he gave us the greatest gift of all time. It's not the only place. James chapter 1, verse 2, it said, Consider it pure, that's not pure. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. Joy exists in the trials. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before, who were before you. When Paul was in prison, in prison, he wrote the book of Philippians. And the Philippians is packed with rejoice, rejoice, always. Joy is all the way through. And so you could see that Paul had worked on his joy. He had grown in joy and he was producing joy like fruit. Where was he producing it? In a dark place. We sit here today in a season of Advent, waiting For Christ to return again. And joy can be yours. Joy can be mine. I wish it were as easy as just hearing the message. Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's where it starts. To know the message. To hear the message. But that's why also why we revisit it again. We revisit again and we celebrate it. We sing songs about it. We give gifts generously. So this week, as I meditate on joy, as I did it this past week, I was convinced that it's an area that I need to grow. So I invite you to join me. Let's grow in our joy. Let's pray.